Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. should be whistling just there. It is uh, the sound of things to come, and at this particular moment in time, it is filmically perfect on 91.3 WYSO. I'm Nikki Dakota, your host, and I am joined in the studio by the film guys. First, it is my pleasure to welcome to the studio with this ominous and sneaky music, the largest flame frame brain on the planet and the film nitrate film archivist at the Library of Congress. He is our film guy, George Willeman. George. Thank you, Nikki. It's nice <laughs> to see you. Also on your radio right, it is storyboard artist for the Cohen Brothers for 20 plus years and counting and friend to all the big stars. They're and just... to the fatherland. <laughs> J. Todd Anderson. J. Todd, welcome. To Nikki Secret to Coltering. <laughs> well, there goes our international audience. <laughs> well, we buggered up. The French film that we had. That's right. Let's go ahead and bugger up this German film. This German film. We are gathered together today to uh, take a a reverent look at a um, film about a uh, homicidal pedophile from 1931. German uh, film classic. Known by the singular title, M. And that is the letter M. M. Not to be confused with the sequel, which was W. (laughs) You just flip it. Yes. You just run the negative backwards and it's W. Everybody comes back to life. It is, um, so I'm assuming M in this means murder. murder. We never. Murderer. 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 And it's uh, the same in in our language. There's a lot of coggings between German and English Mm -hmm. as we have so many. In German, the word is mortar. Mortar. And this movie was made in 1932 by one of our favorite directors of all time. In fact, when George was in college, he used to walk around with a load of books so he could pick up chicks. And they all said <laughs> the works of Fritz Lang and the movies of Fritz Lang. He always had quite a few of those books. So we used to And that watch. worked for picking up chicks, really? No. Yeah. It got, <laughs> got these German girls, you know? <laughs> the German you know, you know how German grape stompers say goodbye, don't you? How do they do that? Our feet are stained! <laughs> I tell you, by the time we were done watching this movie, and again, I had the great chance to watch it with you, Jay Todd. Is that great? Or, you know, it adds dimension. It was but a lot I, of fun. I felt like I was beginning to understand some actual German. Boy. It's, the acting is good, so you I'm can sort try of... try that on some other right. can, <laughs> Ich bin ein Jelly Donut. <laughs> Before we continue on... We had on, steins of beer, too. It was really cool. They had little caps on them. It was really. awesome. And did you have hot dogs with it? And then you could have Franks and Steins. And, and Nikki, <laughs> Nikki was wearing lederhosen. Lederhosen, yeah, don't Little you know? Pants, yeah. <laughs> Before we continue much further, let us take a moment to remind all of us that the movies that are chosen as perfect on Filmically Perfect by the film guys are first passed through a strict 
set of rules. A it's gauntlet. a paddling machine. That's what it is, folks. <laughs> and Bud Inski's at the crank. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> He's swinging the big paddle. And the, and the movie M did indeed make it past the rules, which start with rule number one. Uh, the movie M creates the world that it exists oh, in. No. <laughs> and it wholly sustains that world. Regardless of changes in society, M retains this meeting and entertainment value. And M will never be placed in any kind of preferential or numerical order. It is perfect within its own scale. Because we know nothing. <laughs> oh, no. I should have known you were doing Schultz the whole while. So this film's star is, I had no idea, no idea that he was originally a German film star. And he, uh, Jay Todd, I think you told me he, he headed out when the Nazis, it was clear that the Nazis were headed in. Well, the Nazis were kind of pushing them over, like you put a lot of stuff on the table and you keep putting stuff and pretty soon something starts falling off the edge. That's where Fritz Lang and his troop were moving because mm-hmm. the Nazis were uh, coming into power and in order to make... You know, movies that weren't like Triumph of Will, he was going to have to beat it out of Dodge, and that's exactly what he did. And so this well, was, and also let's um, say the, the, the actor first, uh, Peter so Lorre. Peter, Peter, this is Peter Lorre's first Lurie. first film. Uh, Peter Lorre was Jewish, and so kind of had to hightail it out of didn't out of know the motherland. that. Now he was also for those of you who are wondering who Peter Lorre is, and you remember those two names, he he's in one of the most famous movies ever made, Casablanca. Casablanca. And that's where he goes, Reek, Reek, Reek. In fact, I believe he is the character who brings the uh, the passes to Rick that become, you know, the crux of the rest of the movie, the passes out His of Casablanca. Very big eyes. Huge but eyes. He's also, he always plays kind of a creepy guy. Yeah, but he also, I mean, he's in uh, the uh, the Patsy with um, with Jerry so Lewis. He's in the Raven with he's Boris in, Karloff. He's in the Maltese Falcon. And he's Maltese absolutely Falcon, superb. Joe in that Cairo, picture. and he's in uh, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea with Kirk Douglas. And he just goes on and on. I mean, pretty much the day he died, he became a great character actor as he got older. And he's so identifiable. Uh, he's another one of those actors that we like to talk about because you can caricature him. He's in a lot of cartoons. Yeah, yeah. yeah they always kind of refer to him then as having of- like poached egg eyes kind of and he worked he well into yeah. his old age and he always portrayed this riveting kind of character that we were all familiar with but he was very malleable he could you know become mm-hmm. different characters so george if mm. you would tell us i mean this is i think i don't think a movie like this would get made today and i do also blame this movie for putting in black and white and on lights on a screen this notion what what children to this day cannot really have any autonomy to speak of whatsoever. But that said, we can all talk about that later. But um, I don't think a movie with this premise would get made with the conclusion that it ultimately has. That said. Um, Well, M basically, it has some basis in reality. Um, And a lot of people say that uh, that Long kind of based his story on the real-life murderer Peter Curtin, who was known as the Butcher of Dusseldorf. Now, Curtin was not necessarily pedophile, but he did he did kill a lot of people and was pretty pretty shameless about it. Mm-hmm. But uh, the story of M starts with um, the murder of a young girl named Elsie Beckman, and probably one of the most gut wrenching scenes oh, of murder so that sad. where you don't see anything. Um, and just again, Lang, this was his first foray into sound film. And you kind of see he kind of waited a couple years. I mean, this is the he had last done a film in I think in 1929 
uh, Woman in the Moon, which was silent. And he kind of waited until the sound had developed a little bit because I think he knew that you know if he was going to do sound, he wanted it to be interesting. And the sound work in this film is one of the most interesting things because unlike a lot of the early talkies, the sound and the picture don't necessarily show at the same time. There's you know sounds relating to other things. And there are times where there's no sound to to accentuate what has happened. Speaking of sound, I, 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 uh, one of the opening scenes is the little children uh, singing in German mm. uh, a little children's rhyme, kind of a counting game. You know, you would say "Eeny, meeny, miny, moe," but in this case, it's um, "Just you wait a little while, a nasty man, right. in, little black man in black will come with his chopper and chop and you up." And chop you up. And they're singing it just as well, happy yeah. as can be. When you watch this movie. Some directors take a while to develop their style. Some of them do. Like if you watch Stanley Kubrick's movies, it takes him a while to get going, and then and it's either Killer's Kiss or The Killers comes on. Like just like but just like you say, it's about halfway through. It just suddenly like he turns the switch yeah. and he's but Kubrick. When you watch this movie, there's no doubt in your mind who's directing this picture because of his style, the way he sets you up. He uses exposition, like when you're talking about the beginning of the movie, the girl's missing. Yeah. Mm. He does this with cuts, empty rooms, and they're looking. They're calling her name, and another yes. cut, another, and yes. it's like everybody's. Just terrifying. The, the thing that they don't ever want to think about or see is right here captured with a certain amount of elegance because he's such a great filmmaker. Mm -hmm. And he does these these just patented uh, expositional frames of balance and, and storytelling that only Fritz Long can do. Mm -hmm. uh, there's nobody else. There's one, one of my favorite shots is where they're showing that there's a, a pedophile loose in German, of course. It's on a post. And... You can't read it because it's... There are subtitles, but you don't feel like you get the whole... And then, out of nowhere, this beautiful big black shadow, sinister-looking, identifies our killer in shadow. And that's... Right. He leans into the sign, and you can see the little girl's reading the sign. Right, and, and what she, I don't think in. she's reading it. She's bouncing her ball against Off it. Off of it, yeah. And it's there so you can read it. And he leans in, and he goes, what a beautiful ball. Yeah. And, and they cut really high, and they show this guy becoming really friendly to this, this very innocent girl who's become a friend of his, and they're around balloons. Well, he oh, takes her goodness. to all the little things that are so well, attractive buy, to children. And he buys her a balloon that looks like a little man. It's yes. got arms and legs, which later on, when you re are re make, get the realization that he has killed her, you see the little man balloon caught in the telephone wires, and then her little ball just kind of rolls down. Oh, it's terrible. Inside. This movie just had a knot in my stomach. One, another one of those. Great movie, just complete and, and not the whole one time. One of the things uh, of this movie that sets it really apart is they they start talking about the events, the, the captain, the police captain, and then they start showing you picture over mm -hmm. narration, which was really unusual. Well, he kind of moves along the exposition because if, if you don't handle exposition well, it just gets boring. So, yeah, so you get the captain, and I, I guess we'll go into and finish our little what the movie's about right. here. as the police begin to develop their case against this this killer we see we go with the policeman and uh, detective loman fatty loman fatty loman as they call him um and and loman is is running this case he's getting really upset because he can't, they can't get a break and he's talking to his men and that's where they go into these voiceovers and they show them doing fingerprints doing searches searching rooms searching gardens looking where elsie was killed trying to find some sort of a clue as to who the murderer is they begin like trolling the the bad parts of the city arresting people 
Um, but then busting you also up known sort of congregations, up congregations of bad people, and and also uh, you also see people like in taverns talking about this, and and even innocent people being accused because everybody is so on edge about this this child murder. What eventually happens is the underground gets together, and the leader of the underground kind of calls a meeting and says, "Look." This guy's making us criminals look bad. The cops can't do anything, but we've got one up on them because we've got this underground network. Let's get this guy. So all the underground start working together, and they get really organized to find the killer. Which Which they do. That's a spoiler alert, so there's – it's a very basic movie. Well, um, well – well, in, in that, uh, who knew that um, they, they actually, like, tapped what they called the Beggar's Union. The Beggar's Union, Well, they, yeah. Yeah, they, they, they were squeezing them so bad they couldn't operate their crime, so they had to get this no, guy yeah, expunged re- out of existence. <laughs> I, I just want to hear that spoiler alert. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, go ahead and play the spoiler alert. That way we have some good They do it. find him. That's, wrong. That's not spoiler alert. In the end, don't they? They do. Watch oh, out for that vacuum cleaner. Watch out for that vacuum cleaner. Wait a minute. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, here. This one. It's this, isn't it? Oh, no. Wait. Wait. No, no. Oh. There we go. Yes. <laughs> all that stuff laying all over the floor. I'm My so goodness. sorry. What a mess I've made here. I'll get it later. You guys go ahead. Okay. Well, now I can talk easily. Yeah. Um, so anyways, the, the Beggars Union heads up this investigation. And and ironically, the blind man who sold the balloon to Elsie Beckman realizes who the murderer is. And this is an interesting little device that Long uses in this film. Uh, to identify the murderer several times throughout. He has a nervous habit of whistling, and he whistles. That's how the blind man fingers him. Right. Literally, in the end, actually, he touches him. It's like, I know that. And I believe that's the blind man going, where have I heard that song before? Because he's among the union of beggars. Yeah. He's been set. Like he knows. Says, follow that man. Yeah, and basically, he gets a young man to follow um, uh, the, uh, Peter Lorre's character, and and when the young man believes that he's going to lose track of him, to mark him, and this is sort of where the M comes from. He draws the letter M on his hand in, in chalk. chalk, and as he walks by Peter Lorre, he hits him on the back, leaving an imprint on his shoulder, which is a very famous picture that you see all the time. And um, he doesn't see this for a while, but everybody now is keeping an eye on him. Because they know the word is spread. Follow and the from that moment the on, you will see really clever images of him seeing himself in reflections and in mirrors. Because he, then he sees himself. Right. It's apparent who he is. He becomes uh, – now that they've revealed the killer – to us, there may, uh, Fritz Long makes him far more interesting by making him look into himself through yeah. these, these mirror images there, and yeah, glass images behind glass. Some of these really cool. Right there's there's one great image where he's looking at a knife display yeah, in the window, and, then, then and the, there's uh, a, like a diamond shaped mirror surrounded by by pocket knives that are all the blades are all pointing oh, yeah. in, and yeah. he's in big the, he's arrows dancing up and down. They're in like this stabbing window. down like yeah. a blade, and yeah. so you know that the noose is starting to kind of go around his neck very slow and and they corner this guy they corner him in a big a big building but then they have to develop a system for getting him out so they come up with this actual caper of getting in the building and tying up the guards and you know digging a big hole and and catching him in this little cage because this is the bad guys that are catching him the police have, the have police, they haven't picked up a clue but these the quote bad guys in this that's case, right the well guys. what's interesting is at the same time that they're doing this uh loman 
finally gets a break. They, they're beginning to, to close in. There's this one boarding house, and, and they're finding some clues that eh, they might help, they might not. This guy named Hans Beckert. And what finally clicks over in Loman's mind is another great long moment is the cigarette b- that they find, the cigarette package they find for Aristons. And it turns out the Ariston cigarette butts were found at at least one or maybe more of the murder scenes. And Long does this great cam, probably one of the best, cam- I love it, this camera movie, that as Loman is sitting at his desk going, Aristons, Aristons. And every time he says Aristons, the camera moves in a little closer and moves in closer <laughs> until he suddenly realizes where he hears this. So they start getting busy and they're going to get try to get Beckert. And then suddenly they begin hearing about this, you know, this union of all the the bad guys are trying to, you know, what's going on with them. So it actually actually eventually converges, but not before they actually, well, they, you know, they. <clears throat> it's kind of hard for modern audiences audiences to watch this lengthy stuff, you know. But it's really no different from what you're watching on CSI, where those fruity guys in their fruity offices with all the stupid color and and you know David Caruso always has the same look on his face. And ten minutes till the end of the hour, they've got everything figured out. Mm-hmm. But it's a it's very much like. Uh, Kurosawa is high and low. It's a, it's a detective kind of putting evidence together. It's a police uh, procedural. Yeah, well, I had the great pleasure to watch this. Uh, Jay Todd and I watched it together, and I, I wrote down the, what you said. You were like, it was the CSI of its time. It was There's this fascination with evidence-based detective shows, and mm-hmm. you're exactly right. And they they do, he does it with such style and finesse. Like, for instance, one of the cool things about Fritz Long is that every frame of he had that he puts in front of you is telling you a story that ultimately moves you forward. Right. Like when they're hunting for they, the detective comes over to the house and looks for the little girl. There's a fishbowl on the table, a, a little fish. You know that's the missing girl, and he does oh. he does this incredible work where there's one where another person ends up missing another kid. Now sex has never ever in in this, but you know that. That's, well, I this think guy we might, so as a creepy. modern audience, and so he yeah. is creepy. They but, could hardly be creepier, but, but they don't ever say it. They say child murderer. But they there's don't. one little shot, and it's just so simple, and it works. It's just a, a, a dead frame of nothing, and then a little ball just kind of bounces in from screen right. Oh. <laughs> it just says it all. It, it's well, and there's also, I think one of one of my favorite shots there is when Elsie's mother is calling for her, and they shoot directly down this long spi- this long staircase with a square spiral. Just going down, knowing that she's she's down the vortex, she's down the draining. And gone. he does a lot of that. Aww. When you look at some of the way he sets things up, it's like a big mixing bowl, and it's a high overhead shot. And he'll start throwing like food into this mm-hmm. mixing bowl, like you're mixing up a big meal. And then he brings stuff in from screen right, top right, and then it'll cut away and cut away. And pretty soon, the story is mixing right before your very eyes into something that that he's he's got you. Well, and I think one of the things that that well, that made Long this kind of artist is that you know his 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 formative years in cinema, of course, were in the silent years. So he's doing things like Doctor Mabusa and um, uh, Destiny and Metropolis, mm. you know, and they're all these highly highly visual movies where he's telling his story through pictures. And I think he did not want to lose that. You know, in it M, he smart. wanted it he gives... wanted to to have the same visual storytelling 
with an additional element of sound and dialogue. No point in getting it, lazy, right? He, Why not yeah. keep these high standards? And, and he also does invisible reverses in this movie where you see these guys are coming up the steps. Uh, they're, they're trying to get out of this. They're, it's like a speakeasy. And mm-hmm. then they go back down and reverse. And what comes into frame? A bunch the of cops. cops come in. Yeah, It's yeah. like an invisible Brilliant. reverse. He always does these incredible where he's going to tell you and he's going to bring him in when he wants to bring them right. in. And he develops even further in the film that he followed this with, the, the Testament of Dr. Mabuza, which actually includes Inspector Lohman as a character, the same inspector, the same actor playing the same character in the following film. And it's an even more visual film that also adds the element of sound even even more succinctly than M does. And so. remember, folks, this is the man that brought you Metropolis. We are talking about Fritz Lang's uh, 1931 uh, film called M, a German Film we watched it with subtitles, black and white, absolutely stunning in so many ways, and completely—I uh, don't know—I'm going to go ahead and call it creepy. I'd like to note <laughs> here that the amount of smoking in this film. Yeah, every yeah. major character smokes. Smoke, and there's nothing cigarettes. wrong with smoking. It was fake. It was and safe. cigarettes are what you know, everybody thought so. Yeah. yeah, you know, all doctors recommended it. They did. In fact, oh, you have a cough here. Uh, pack a day. You're stressed out. It'll Smoke help some. you out. <laughs> so it's like in some of the scenes, there's like whole, you know, actual clouds of smoke. There's there must be some fan or draft in the room, and you you're looking at the characters through moving, moving huge clouds banks of smoke. Of smoke. Yes. And so no wonder that he was caught by the cigarettes in the end. Actually, one of the things I. I would like to mention is Fritz Long and the mob kind of scenario. Mm. He had the mob scenario. There's one man, I don't know if anybody could build a mob scenario, mob mentality uh, better than this guy. He did it as an artist. I mean, the guy painted a mob. He What he did is he developed this mob mentality of this paranoia that everybody was the murderer and the, the pedophile. And he built this thing at least twice in this film. He shows these incredible shots of the camera pulling through a crowd of angry faces. And they started and they built and they built and they built and built. And you'll, you'll see this in his career in later films, uh, Fury. He uses the mob mentality to just almost get you a little scared of yourself when you're watching this because you – uh, are not exempt from this mentality. You can go down that road too. And he really makes it so that all of a sudden you're feeling like, would I act like that? And it, he does it with incredible craftsmanship. Uh, oh, yeah. And he's used mobs before. In Metropolis, there's the angry mob at the end of angry Metropolis mob, destroys man. the city. He does it. It's almost like a painting, the way he just brushstrokes it in there. And uh, he does it. It's like all directors. They just get better and better and better at the same themes through the years. And I wonder if people actually had acted that way, and that's why it ended up in movies. Or is it just more of a cliche? Because I mean, I mean Germany was turning into and, that at that time. Oh, I guess it was. With, with the two, three different parties, you know, uh, two different parties of the Nazi party and the uh, and uh, they were starting to get that way in Germany. So, so more uh, of a reflection of the German psyche. This yeah, whole mob and thing. in fact, his like the, the film he made after M uh, was was his last film in Germany until about 1959 because he had to leave the country after he made that one because he put some Nazi philosophy into the mouth of the madman in The Testament of Dr. Mabuza, mm. and that did not sit well. In fact, this film ended up getting banned by the Nazis, M. Now you're banned gonna, by the Nazis. You, in when you hear Hitler talking in those old films, he has an incredible intensity, and um, no doubt, when you hear this next clip, you're going to make that comparison. Only it's from the completely—I mean, it's, it's German. It's all in yeah. German. We're warning you. And folks. this is basically There's no this, subtitles for you because it's radio. This is Peter um, Laurie. <laughs> yeah. This is Peter Laurie as Hans Beckert at the end in the trial 
where he is trying to defend himself. And what he's basically saying is, I can't help what I do. I can't help it. The feeling comes over me. It's so powerful. It follows me. It haunts me. And the only time I can relieve myself, this sort of climactic climax, whatever you want to call it, uh, is when he kills. And so this is Peter Lorre just going over the top for the first time on film. Aber ich weiß doch von gar nichts. Aber wer glaubt mir denn? Wer weiß denn, wie sie mir aussieht, wie es schreit und brüllt bei ihnen, wie ich tun muss, will nicht, muss, will nicht, muss. Und dann schreit eine Stimme und ich kann es nicht mehr hören. Hilfe! Ich kann nicht! Ich kann nicht! And he's just there in his creepy For those of you who are driving down 675, and, you know, we're, we take you back to our regularly scheduled program. program yeah. well, you know, this, this, this film was very fascinating because Peter Lorre became such a huge star based on this really evil character. Heck of a performance, a though. My and, goodness. And you almost are sympathetic with this character who's just well, nothing but rot evil. And, and from what I understand, he, he got this role because he had played a similar character on German stage a few years earlier. And, and when they, when they capture him, he's running up the stairs and, and they're, and they're he... trying to stop him. He's screaming like a small animal caught in a trap. And you'll see similar performances in Casablanca. Like I said, you know, we talked about it. Rick, Rick. Yeah. He does that. <laughs> but there's no way. You, it's like Eddie G. Robinson or all the great actors. You can't stop watching this guy. Yeah. Especially no. this performance here. Whoa. And the great thing about this film is that like so many early sound films it got when it came to the states it got cut it got re-edited and parts of it were lost and now thanks to um the the german film archives there's been a lot of work done on it um there was a big restoration done over about 20 years and i think a further restoration has been done on it recently and the versions of m that are available now are the most complete ever they compl they contain a lot of footage that has been missing and lost for many many years and really good subtitles because there was a version floating around the United States in the 50s that had like one subtitle every 15 minutes. You and know, that you mean that. I mean, it's really I true. I truly mean that because we have a copy of it. And <laughs> yeah. it's like it's just a subtitle to keep you up abreast of what is going on. The cops are looking for the bad guy. You know, that kind of thing. Really <laughs> terrible. And you're like, oh, oh, thanks. Also cause... interesting about M is there is a remake of M from 1951 done by the same producer Directed by Joseph Losey, who's a very interesting director in his own right, and starring David Wayne, who was in The Tender Trap on television for many years. Um, but it has kind of vanished. It gets shown every once in a while at film festivals, but otherwise it's not seen. I mean, and the idea of doing an exact remake of a classic film is ridiculous. I mean, it'd be like, it'd we be talked like, about it'd be it like in... remaking Psycho. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. Okay. Who in the world would do something <laughs> like that? Why? Why would bother? somebody even think about it? In Money. color. Money. Yeah. Now that's well, that's at least one reason why we'll never talk about it, because it's in color. <laughs> We're in the black and white phase of Filmically Perfect on 91.3 <laughs> WYSO. And gentlemen, so we are... So just take your radio and adjust that <laughs> contrast knob. Yes, that's <laughs> true. It's all black and white. <laughs> <laughs>
Hey, uh, take a moment and connect with the Film Guys anytime. Film Guys at PerfectMovie.net. Full details at our website at WYSO.org. Catch us at NPR.org. And what? Facebook. And Facebook. iTunes, Brand new page. iTunes. Where yeah. can't you get filmically perfect? However you do it, go ahead. And J. Todd Anderson, thank you for Don't being here. Don't my <laughs> George Willeman, thank you. See you next time. Kiss my umlaut. <laughs> Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.